Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Today, we're looking at the Battle of St. Eustache. The 1837 Rebellion in Lower Canada, as well as the 1838 Rebellion in Upper Canada, just don't get enough notice. These rebellions are lost in the pile of other wars, including the 1885 Rebellion, the War of 1812, the Boer War, and the Wars of the 20th Century. The rebellions of 1837 and 1838, though, are extremely important moments in our history, and would help to form the foundation of the country Canada is today with everything from our capital all the way to the type of government we have. Today, I'm looking at one of the biggest battles of the 1837 Rebellion, and again, that's the Battle of St. Eustache. First, we need some background. I'm not going to go into super detail regarding the lead-up to the rebellions because I will be doing a separate episode on that, but essentially, the previous three decades of Canadian history prior to 1837 had seen various efforts at political reforms. In 1791, when the Constitutional Act was put in place, it allowed Lower Canada to have a House of Assembly, which formed two parties. The first party was the English Party, which was composed of English merchants and bureaucrats, while the Canadian Party was made up of French and English aristocrats. With the population of Lower Canada being mostly French-Canadian, they elected mostly French-speaking people who supported French-Canadian businesses. This didn't mean that the French had any power. In fact, they had the illusion of power. With the Executive and Legislative Council being able to veto all legislation from the House Assembly, and the members of those councils were chosen from people in the British party. When the economy crashed in the early 19th century, as lumber became more important than farming or fur trading, many began to work for reform for the English-speaking majority. Many citizens felt like the English speakers held all the power in banking, timber, and transportation at the expense of the French majority. I can go more into detail on this, but again, I'm going to be doing a special episode on the rebellions in the future. Instead, I will just say that things did not improve, and before long people were itching for a conflict to bring about responsible government that saw the colonies governing themselves, with the Governor General serving as a figurehead. And I actually talk a lot about the results of this in the province of Canada, an episode I did earlier this week. So, we have the Battle of St. Eustache. The British had just been victorious at the Battle of St. Charles earlier in the year, and were ready to attack the Patriot camps in the north of Lower Canada. The British force that would launch these attacks was led by John Calborn. Calborn was at the point well into his career, having taken part in the Anglo-Russian invasion of Holland as a junior officer, gone on an expedition to Egypt with Sir Ralph Abercrombie, and even served at the iconic Battle of Waterloo against Napoleon. For his long service, he was made the commander-in-chief of all armed forces in British North America, and was given the charge to lead the offensive in Lower Canada. With 1,280 regular soldiers, along with artillery and 220 Loyalist volunteers, he was ready to launch the attack against the Patriots, as they called themselves who were poorly organized by this point. The Patriots thought they could muster 800 men, but were able to get 201, which would be led by Jean-Oliver Chenier. We will get to more about him and his outcome later. Now a woman who lived in the village watched the arrival of those soldiers and would say, 
At 10 a.m. in the morning on Thursday, a cold, clear, beautiful day, the English troops marched down the King's Road. 1,500 strong, infantry, artillery, cavalry, the officers in full dress regalia. The entire parade filed by at a leisurely pace with kind of a defiance. Chenier was joined by Armory Girard, who was also in charge of the Patriots, but Girard decided that he needed to get reinforcements from elsewhere, St. Benway in fact, and he left just as the battle started. The Patriots saw him leave, immediately suspected him of treason, and chased him, and he would eventually kill himself. When the battle began, Calborn placed his troops around the village and slowly had the troops move in close, closing the vice on the Patriots. At noon, artillery opened fire at the center of the village. Once the artillery finished, his troops advanced to Main Street and began to break down the doors of the church, which is where the Patriots who had not fled took refuge, after the battle immediately went bad for them. Jacques Pequin would write about what he saw. All the cannons began firing together battering the church with astonishing rapidity. The masonry was extremely solid and resisted a tremendous number of cannonballs as they were fired off one after the other. The firing at the church would last for two hours. The rectory was taken by nearby troops and they set fire to it so the smoke would make it difficult for those inside the church to see outside. Another set of troops then set fire to the manor. The troops then made their way into the church through the vestry, which was then set on fire as they retreated under heavy fire from the patriots. A Lieutenant Lyson would relate later. We got around to the back of the church and found a small door leading in that we battered in. We then turned to our left and went into the main body of the church. Here the rebels began firing down on our heads. We could not get by them for the staircases were broken down, so we lighted a fire behind the altar and got the men out. So now the patriots are in the church that's burning down around them. The only way out was through the windows, and the British troops were all standing waiting for the rebels to emerge. As the rebels came out the windows, the troops swiftly fired on them. McQueen would relate what he saw at the church, which he was also the father of, as it burned. Realizing that all hope was lost, Chenier saw that he could no longer defend himself from inside the church, for he completely succumbed to flames. He gathered up several men and jumped out the windows, with them on the convent side. He was trying to escape, but he could not get out of the cemetery and was struck by a bullet and collapsed. He died almost immediately. So as Chenier died, shouts of Remember Weir, which was a British spy killed by the Patriots, was yelled around him. Following his death, his corpse was mutilated by the British to scare and humiliate his supporters. Now I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Chenier was excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church because he fought on holy ground, but this was lifted in 1945. Today, there's a park named for him, a statue that remembers him and those who died in the fire in St. Eustache, as well as another in Montreal. A street in Montreal is also named for him, as was a cell of the FLQ that killed Pierre Laporte during the October crisis of 1970. By the end of the battle, which had lasted only four hours, there were 70 dead patriots and only three dead British. Following the battle, things did not improve for the patriots. British soldiers and volunteers began to pillage the entire country, looting and burning nearly everything. The houses of the rebellion leaders were burned as well. Several of the rebels attempted to make their way to the US border but were captured, and hundreds were taken prisoner. Some were sent to the penal colony in New South Wales in Australia, which is where we get Canada Bay, named for the prisoners who built the area. And again, you can actually learn more about this whole period of time by listening to my episode on the province of Canada from uh, Monday. 
And a little while back, a few weeks, I did another episode on the Republic of Canada, which is tied directly to the rebellions. So, information comes from CBC, the Canadian Encyclopedia, and Wikipedia. I hope you enjoy this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please give a rating or review. You can reach me at Canadian History X, that's E-H-X, at gmail.com, and you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash That's B-A-I-R-D-O. 